Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Hi, how are you? Now, last week we saw people around the world, I suppose, mourn the loss of the Titanic submersible implosion victims. And one of whom, by the way, had a very strong core connection. And I didn't know that. So there was a core connection there. Yeah, not many people do. So that's uh, Paul Henry um, Nargalay. Um, so he did uh, an interview with Ellie O'Byrne from the Irish Examiner a few years back. And it surfaced of late because um, he actually had uh, a, a, a grandson in primary school or has a grandson in, in primary in primary school in Cork um, in Educate mm-hmm. Together. I'm not sure. He might have um, moved on to secondary school in the meantime. I'm not sure right, okay. how old he is. But I've seen so much about the submersibles, uh, about the submersible in, in the last week in the technical side of things. and But there, there wasn't much eulogising no. And it's it's just nice to see a bit to look at it from a different perspective. From a human perspective, yes, that the people actually yeah. involved, yeah. Because you're right, yeah, we're, we're seeing all sorts of stuff about how it imploded and why it imploded. And mind you, I've seen some of the videos, and there's not a chance I would have got into something like that and gone under the water. But how and ever, some people obviously uh, thrill seekers, I suppose, to some degree, explorers or people who are adventurers would do something like that. But yes, we need to look at the human aspect of this. Yeah, so we can look at it from that perspective. But when as soon as I heard that um, uh, Paul Henry Nargalay had family in Cork, I was thinking of, of the of of the whole story from their point of view. So mm. it looks like he he has two children in Cork, if I'm correct. I know he definitely has one grandson. So a few years ago. He came over to Cork, uh, as far as I know, in 2019, and gave a talk in UCC, and it was a, a, fund, a, a fundraiser. So that must have been a very interesting indeed. So it was all about his um, uh, professional life and mm-hmm. his, his work. So, so um, some of the uh, some of his little anecdotes relating to the Titanic were really nice. So okay. he mentioned um, how some family members of those who had died aboard the Titanic wanted to let, to, they wanted the site left untouched in memory of the dead and others took a more grounded approach. And he actually recounted in this article the tale of being approached after a talk he he gave by a woman who asked him, um, well, the question she put to him, she said, my mother left her necklace on the sideboard in her cabin. Can you get it for me? Oh, no. <laughs> That's so lovely. That yeah, that'd be like looking for a needle in a haystack. <laughs> like, yeah, he didn't want to cut through um, cold water on that straight away, no yeah. pun intended. But it's certainly, I think, that question moved him, um, no doubt, I'd say his family must have been really uh, proud of him and how, how articulate he was. There was, um, but there was one, there there was one sentence there that stood out for me. He was talking about how he was imagining the people on the deck and all the things he already knew about the Titanic and what was going through their minds. Um, and uh, he he was 
the question was put to him about how, how dangerous what he does was. And he said, if you're 11 kilometres down, if something bad happens, the result is the same. And he said, when you're in very deep water, you're dead before you realise that something is happening. So it's just not a problem. The pressure would be immense. Yeah, the pressure would be immense. Yeah, there's there's something almost prophetic about it, though, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. The journalist asked him, does he ever get scared? And he said the answer, obviously, is no. Um, but that, that, doesn't, well, I'd that be scared. doesn't mean he's never moved by what, what he sees. But that's kind of... Um, well, yeah. It's a story, certainly, that's, that's captured the world. Yeah, it? it's a story that's kind of captured the world. And there was a bizarre thing going on last week, and we discussed it last week, as to why, you know, five people had captured the world like that, when sadly we see so many people drown in the Mediterranean on a regular basis, and it doesn't get as much attention in the news. I think it was because the five people we thought might have been still alive, even though we knew in our heart of hearts there's not a chance. We thought they might have been alive, and it was this whole idea that if somebody gave you a book and said five people drowned, you'd probably just look at the first chapter and go, well, sure, I know the end. Whereas if they had your book and said there's five people trapped in a submarine, you'd probably read the whole thing in the hope that they might get out. So I think that's why it captured the world and that whole story. Anyway, there's an ongoing investigation into that particular story at the moment by the Canadian government as to why or was there a safety record for that particular submersible, and I can't imagine there would have been. Anyway, formerly conjoined Miracle Twins from Cork who defied the odds to graduate from primary school paid tribute to their mum and the teachers this week. It must be very, very difficult. I've watched numerous documentaries about conjoined twins and how difficult life can be, but I suppose it's teamwork, and it has to be teamwork. Yeah, so... I, I suppose we everyone feels like they they know Hassan and H- Hussein in a way, mm-hmm. and we can't believe that they're so gro- grown up now. I remember almost, I remember them they, coming back to Dublin Airport. Remember when they had the operation and the, and they they brought them back to uh, what was it Cork Shannon Airport? It would have been sorry at the time. I remember it on the news, which seems like a, a while ago now. So that must have been a good while ago, was it? Oh yeah, so they're they they must they're thirteen now. Um, okay. Imagine imagine that, and they're if, if you see them in the picture now, they're just so grown up and handsome looking. But they were as told by Liz Dunphy in the Irish Examiner, the formerly conjoined twins, they were given a minimal chance of survival. They thanked their teachers and their mum, who never gave up as they graduated from primary school. So their mother, Angie Benhafaf, said that in her wildest dreams, she barely imagined her miracle boys getting to this point. Mm-hmm. There was a 70% chance we would all die. That's how she put it. So it wasn't just the two of their two lives at risk. There was three. So that's, that's what, she, that's that's what was at stake. Yeah. Imagine the stressful months leading up to that time. So Hassan and Hussein bin Hafaf, they were conjoined at birth and connected to each other from chest to pelvis, sharing some vital organs, and they had one leg each. And I think it, their humour seems to have got them through a lot of the difficult times because no doubt between them they've had to endure a lot of operations and everything else and... Sometimes when the other children would ask them, how come you have only one leg mm-hmm. each, they would, uh, I suppose they got sick of giving the same answer and they started telling people, oh, 
it, it got um, bitten off by a shark in Florida. <laughs> that was that was a terrible shark attack. Did you hear about that awful <laughs> shark attack? So um, they pay tribute to their special needs assistants. So that's Ava Plixa and Mia Brown. And they've been instrumental in helping them thrive in the in in this in the school they're in. So um yeah, that's it's, ni- it's I, nice I, it's I, nice I to hear a good story, isn't it? Like that. Yeah, it is nice to hear a good story. And I'm glad they're doing so well as well. Yeah, and, and uh, that's Middleton Educate Together National School, because we'll, we must give them uh Middleton a, a National School. Their, yeah. Absolutely. Also, a Ukraine mother and her daughter spoke to the Echo about risking everything to return back to their home country, which, of course, is still at war. So why are they heading home, of course, heading back to certain, possibly poverty and danger? Yeah, th- this is the thing. Everybody talks about how easy people have it in Ireland, but mm-hmm. not not so much. I think the Yulia and Violetta their homesickness just was too strong for them. And they were saying that it was an, on a visit last Christmas. They saw Chris, um, Christmas trees in Kiev powered by cyclists on stationary bicycles and that only served to make them all the more homesick. And although they felt they would be safer and from why um, Yulia and Violetta both made it, the decision to eventually return home to what remains a war zone. Now, that wasn't before um, the daughter completed her leaving search. She's only 17, Violetta, so that was unbelievably important to her. And they were just thanking everybody in Cork for their kindness. And um, Yulia said that she's she, she's she was living in Fromoy, so she said, I've cried so much this week. I feel the black water... The river there is full of my tears, and she, she was wiping her eyes and pointed to the river across from the Grand uh, Grand Hotel in Fromoy as described here. Ah. So that that's where she's been living, and I just thought that's the most beautiful line in the world, isn't it? The yeah. black water is full of my tears. Um, ah, so that so was sad, one of the most read stories in the Echo. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But hopefully, um, yeah, ho- ho- we wish them all the luck in. Yeah. Um, in, in Ukraine, all the luck in the world, and we really hope that they have a lovely life and yeah, yeah. things get better for them. Yeah, I hope that all comes to an end and they can get back to their life, uh, the people of Ukraine. Now, of course, on a lighter note, a Cork vet spoke to the Echo about how one of her patients exposed his owner's marital infidelities in the most epic way possible. Okay, so introducing... Suzanne Kelly, she was an absolute legend this week in the, in the Echo, the, all the stories she had for us. So she's a veterinary surgeon in, in the Sunbeam, and she told us about her career today. She's worked mm-hmm. in so many vets around the country. So, But she detailed one awkward moment that saw a dog exposed, as you said, its owner's marital infidelity. So this dog wouldn't stop vomiting so they're trying to figure out what was wrong with them this couple they were saying we have to get him to a vet straight away so they got him to uh, um to the vet to suzanne and he the couple gave her uh permission to do a surgery on him mm. and it turned out that he had a pair of underwear 
stuck in his intestines. No. He calls them knickers here, which is what, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well. <laughs> I just can't say knickers. It's those, well, knickers yeah, is off, good, yeah. Underwear, we'll say. Laundry, laundry. Shorts. So, yeah, they, they opened S- them well, up. Well, skimpies and, is what they used to call it. Okay, the the skimpy. They open they when they opened him him up. They uh, took them out before stitching him back together again. So what Suzanne always does is when a dog swallows anything, she puts it in a Ziploc bag and gives it back to the owner. the owners in case it's so important. The, of course, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So the <laughs> and to show the, what the, the dog has swallowed. Be laughing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it might have been, the dog might have been trying to do a good thing. He might have been trying to cover up the infidelity by getting rid of the evidence. I'm not sure. I know what you're coming to. You're coming to these skimpies who aren't belong to the to the, the wife or the, the girlfriend, clearly. Yeah, so would you believe that Suzanne handed the Ziploc bag back to the wife and said, uh, this is what he swallowed. Um, it's a pair, of, a pair of underwear. And the lady just stood there and said... Those aren't my underwear. <laughs> and it would have been okay only for the husband went bright red. So they knew straight away and she was trying to take a step back and she was she was saying, Oh, they probably just look different. If you put them in the wash, you'll probably see that they're actually yours and you know, they always <laughs> they'll change um, shape and colour. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll drop color, four yeah. sizes. <laughs> she said, No, no, they're definitely they're definitely not mine. They're definitely not mine. And Suzanne said in that moment she she just didn't know whether to laugh or cry. You'd want the ground to open up and swallow you, wouldn't you? Laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Because when something like that happens, some, uh, all you want to do is laugh just out of complete nerves. But what mm. she was telling me, and uh, I was quite taken aback by this, she told me that this isn't uncommon, that she speaks to lots of us, and she's not the first person who's found themselves in, themselves in that awkward situation. What, like used underwear or tasty for dogs or something like that? They're attracted to them or oh, something? Oh, yeah, they... Are they so they swallow all kinds of things, she told me. Because it might um, have the owner's uh, scent on them. Well, it wouldn't in that case. It didn't have the owner's scent nah, on them. It had the mistress's I, I scent on I don't think they're picky. <laughs> tell me that. One of them ate, one of them ate a, a baby's nappy, a baby's dirty nappy. Oh, jeez. Um, oh, do you know what it is? It's anything that has any kind of like, uh, she was saying that like a, a baby grow was eaten because it had like crisps or some kind of food attached to it food. yeah 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 food attached to it so a nappy a bra um fireworks um <laughs> tampons everything that's those are everything she mentioned that the dog uh, swallows so i imagine do... opening the dog up with a tampon hanging out with a dog i can just see it now I, oh I know, I know. It, it would be, it would be uh, interesting. She must always be curious about what she's going to find. But I knew, I, I, knew, I knew a dog that had to go to the vet because one of the kids has shoved a soldier up the dog's arse. That's the truth of God. Well, that's a terrible, that's a terrible thing. You know the little it? toy soldiers, little plastic ones. So the dog was pain. They thought the dog had worms because he was rubbing his bum off the ground all the time. And he was in awful pain. And they brought him to the vet and the vet said, there's something in there. So they got the tweezers and whatever else they used to get the bum open. And they pulled out this little German soldier, <laughs> complete with gun oh in hand. God. The child had shoved I, it up the dog's arse. 
you feel like when you think of all the things you did when you were when you were small, you just yeah. oh gosh, you look back and then think <laughs> I would. I, children are so cruel. Well, Sarah, but I've never not, shoved anything up a dog's bum. In fairness, now. That's not, that's not even the worst story. Yeah, but you did set uh, a bee's nest on fire. I did, uh, yeah. A wasp nest. Yeah, you remember. So you've good that, memory, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I bring them all. I bring all these these things up, you know, like people yeah, yeah. who have uh, arguments. I'll bring something up from mm. eight years ago because <laughs> I have a great memory. But do you know that's not the, the like, even the wildest story that Suzanne had? What was the wildest one? Okay. <laughs> I'm now asking and all our listeners are sitting there with bated breath going Sarah (laughs) tell us the wildest one (laughs) they wish ever to shut up yeah (laughs) Um, so this reptile should we go to a break before Um, you tell them oh am I going on that log (laughs) I don't know I'm just thinking should we leave them in suspense or something like that yeah um, no go for it okay yeah, I could go for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so there was one time she uh, opened up about how she took her life in her own hands after coming into contact with this 10-foot epileptic python who made a surprise visit to the clinic where she works, right? Yeah. So let me tell you about the days leading up to this. So the reptile was just one of the patients uh, treated by her. And um, she so th- this was one of her so-called bad days d- days at the office. This would be a bad day at the office for Suzanne. So there was a client who phoned her, who had uh, brought other pets to her before, and she explained to her that she had a snake at home who was experiencing a lot of seizures, and he had problems with his brain and needed to be put to sleep. So this mm-hmm. isn't something any vet can do. If you're putting an animal to sleep, you want to make sure it's humane and peaceful, and it's very important that you know what you're doing, obviously. So the vet who normally looked after exotic um, animals, he was away on holidays that day, and she couldn't leave an animal suffer because she takes an oath, um, they take an oath not to do that. So it was an emergency, and she rang the exotic vets in Bray to find out how to euthanize a snake. And she learned how to visualize the heart and sedate him and everything else, and they both assumed that the owner of the snake was talking about a corn snake. They're skinny yeah, and harmless. Skinny, wiry ones, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and she was still, but she was still out of her comfort zone at the thought of euthanizing a snake in the first place. Yeah, and didn't think to ask what breed it was. And um, when she entered with a snake, the owner that is, when she entered with a snake that was ten foot long, it, it was pretty obvious what it was. It wasn't a corn snake, that's for sure, or an earthworm. So, yeah. <laughs> so she thought she she recalled how staff at the clinic reacted upon seeing this giant reptile. So the nurse Fear was scattered. probably the one thing that, that, that was how they reacted, I imagine. Yeah, so the, the snake took up the entire consult room and it was trashing about. And at this point, everyone had legged it. But it was having like an epileptic so seizure. Had, yeah, yeah. So she had to do what she was told to do for the small snake but multiply it a few times and just hope to God that the python didn't kill her. <laughs> so, and so how do you find, I mean, I don't even know how you'd find, because you have to obviously inject it with whatever it is they inject to make them go asleep. I'm assuming you have to find a vein. How do you find a vein on a python? I wouldn't know that now. No, no, no. <laughs> she obviously looked it up, but obviously had to, she obviously had to multiply the dose by whatever it was, because the corn snake would be a small dose of whatever it is they give them. She obviously had to multiply it by God knows what. 
And they all just left her, left her there. Um, With the bike. They said, they, what they said to her, as much as we love you, we just, we're just too scared. You can look and after that one on your can, own, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she said she could remember staying there after hours doing a post-mortem on the snake while everyone was at home and enjoying their evening. It was a, right. it was a bizarre experience thinking, how did, she was probably thinking, how did I get here? But she's glad the, um, the python didn't have to suffer. No, at least it had a, it died with dignity and had a peaceful ending. The poor python. Anyway, and she delivered a two-headed calf. Okay, that's the end. A two-headed calf. <laughs> yeah. I <think> it's, yeah. <laughs> and where is the two-headed calf now? Is is it dead? Can I tell you what happened? You have time. Yeah, I have time. Go on. <laughs> you can you can cut me out. So when she was doing um, farm veterinary, um, she visited this old man to deliver a calf, and he said it was twins, but he added that they felt very strange. And when she put her hand in, she could feel another head. And she suspected it was twins because they can get tangled up and you don't know which leg is coming from where. But then she figured out it was a two-headed calf. And at that, at that moment, these two young fellas came along and she thought they were relatives of the old man. So she got them to help with the cesarean. And she was getting one of them to get a, grab a, a bucket of water and the other one was doing something else. And it turned out afterwards that they weren't related to the old man at all. And they were just selling lines for their local GAA. They were just your randomers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Delivering a two-headed calf in the middle of the countryside. Yeah, yeah so she said this was a, a freak thing to happen. And the farmer had made the decision then not to resuscitate them because he wasn't sure what kind of a life they would have. No, as, they would have been just a and, freak, sadly. Um, yeah, yeah. So they um, they would have just, yeah. been alive for a, a few minutes but yeah what a, what a story isn't I it? wonder with a two-headed calf which brain controls things do you know what I'm yeah, saying what, I was wondering did they have I was trying to explain it to, to one of my colleagues at work and I said yeah so it was two, head, two heads and one body but they had two souls and ah, they were going, what nice. are you talking about? Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. No, that's nice, Sarah. Don't mind your friend. That's actually a nice thought. <laughs> yeah. But I'm I'm thinking more like two brains and one brain controlled the back legs and one controlled the front legs. So then they'd have to talk to each other and go, okay, your turn, move your legs. Okay, your turn, move your legs. Okay, your turn, move your legs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder has there been... Or, or one head would say to the other... My, actually, one would say to the other one, my bum is a little bit itchy. You wouldn't mind wagging the tail for us there, would you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, just have to communicate. Um, and trying and trying to imagine it. There's a, you hear a fair a fair bit about six legged cows, um, as well. You're I, going, I know, you're going I know out. You're Suzanne, ne- you're now meandering. Now you're going off. And no, I'm not. Suzanne, <laughs> Suzanne delivered a six legged cow, and that one survived um, uh-huh. and lived a, a lovely life uh, <laughs> with six legs. Yeah, gosh, it got, it got, they, they removed two of the legs. Oh, they removed two. I was going to say, I could see it galloping around the field with the six legs. It's awkward enough, I'm sure, to run on four. Sarah, yeah, yeah, you're a world of knowledge, Sarah. That's all I can say. A world of knowledge. <laughs> Six-legged calves and two-headed calves and, you know, people with uh, dogs with knickers in their stomachs, pythons going to sleep, dignity. You're just a word of knowledge. Yeah, Suzanne, Suzanne Kelly, we salute you. She's yes, we must get so. Suzanne on the air to chat to us someday as well. She could tell us even more stories of madness. Listen, thank you yeah, very yeah, much indeed, you. Sarah. That's been lovely. Listen, thank you very much indeed. And I shall talk to you next Monday. Okay, bye. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. 
the multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show.